we talk about freedom a lot, especially as we go through a, a gospel like Mark's and we recognize that the gospel brings hope, the good news of Jesus brings peace, it brings freedom, but what underlies all of those tremendous blessings is love. We're going to see a, read a long passage today from Mark. It's chapter 8, verses 1 to 26. There's a lot that happens here, but there's one particular story that sort of anchor, anchors this whole passage, and that is the feeding of the 4,000. So we're going to look at that and the rest of the passage today. But in many ways, what you'll see sort of unfold as we read through this is that Jesus, as we say, um, the way of Jesus, we are along the way with Mark, learning the life and teachings of Jesus. Jesus, in many ways, is teaching his disciples to speak a new language. You know, Jesus came and And he brought the kingdom, he brought the offer of the kingdom, I should say. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he came uh, preaching, and he came uh, teaching, and he came performing miracles and healing people like the deaf and the blind, and he came casting out demons. We've seen a lot of that already in the first seven chapters. But today we're going to see it, I think, in a different light that Jesus is really trying to teach his disciples, as he spent so much time doing, to speak a new language, and that is the language of love. Because love undergirds and binds together all those things that come along with his good news and the freedom and the peace, the hope and the joy that we have, but it's about love. So I'd like to show of hands, how many of you in here speak more than one language fluently? How many of you? Just raise your hand. One, two, three, four, a few, a few, five, thank you. Yeah, I said fluently. Some of you are just like, eh, I don't know. If you took French in junior high school, I don't think it counts. But you know, that's all right. So there's a handful, you know, and um, we live in such a diverse um, country, such a diverse state, and we, we encounter many different languages, you know, throughout our day, and um it's interesting, you know, I, I speak one language. I try to do it fairly well. I think some of us think we speak kind of one language, right? But um, my wife, Claudia, speaks Spanish fluently, and it was her first language, and it's sort of her native tongue in a sense, born in Honduras, but came here when she was a young child. But um, yeah, there's many people that speak multiple languages, you know, some three, four, five languages, pretty amazing. But um, you know, it's funny, at, 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 you know, people always ask me, oh, your wife speaks Spanish. Do you speak Spanish? Right, And so I always feel guilty because I never took that opportunity to learn the language fluently. But what I say is that I can understand it, especially if my wife and her family speak slow enough. Because sometimes when people speak Spanish, you know, it sounds like they're going 100 miles an hour. And it can be hard. So, But I listen for key words like my name, and I can get that, right? And I listen for what, the words that I know, like usually they're uh, foods. And so... I understand those, so I know we're talking about dinner or whatever, but, but seriously, I can pretty much follow a conversation. You know, I can, again, I, I can kind of hear what's going on, I can put enough words together where I can have this picture and kind of understand where they're going and what they're talking about. But what I can't do is I can't converse back. I can't join in that conversation. So I have like a very limited understanding, I have ears to hear it, 
but don't really have a mouth to then sort of speak it. You see, and so you're going to see in our passage today that in a way Jesus is trying to teach the disciples this language of love. It's all about the good news that he comes to bring. And so you'll see that he lovingly and gently rebukes them once again for not hearing, for not listening, and for not understanding. And so I'm going to read through it uh, in a couple of minutes, but what's happening here is sort of to give you some context, Jesus once again feeds a multitude of people. And then we see he has a short interaction with some Pharisees who are once again trying to test him. They're for a sign, and he basically says, I'm not giving you another sign. And uh, then there's this little parable he tells uh, about leaven, and he's asking the disciples about bread and leaven, and they just think he's talking about lunch because they still don't get it. But then there's a, an ending to the, our passage in the last few uh, verses where Jesus heals a blind man, but he does it in such a unique way. I want you to, to be a, a sort of have your radar out for that when we read the end of this, this section that he he heals a blind man. But Mark puts these stories together. They happened in order, but he puts them together as he is building his case to prove the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's that identity that he is trying to get across in his whole book, the suffering servant, the one who is promised as a Redeemer, and Jesus is the one. So we see him having the power to provide food for the multitudes, for the thousands, out of, again, a few loaves of bread and some fish. And it's going to sound very similar, so we're going to talk about some differences and similarities. But as you read this, as we read it together, just consider that Jesus is trying to teach His disciples who He truly is and what He has come to do. So this time, Jesus feeds 4,000. A, a multitude of 4,000. So it's repetition in some way. Don't we need to have a bit of that? Especially if you're trying to learn a language, right? Isn't it good to kind of have some repetition so you can learn it over and over again? But think about it. If you're ever trying to learn a foreign language, you need to listen. You need to hear. And then you need to start speaking it as you immerse yourself in that language. That's the way that we learn it. Jesus is trying to immerse His disciples through miracles, through teaching, through being with them. He's trying to teach them, I have come to bring a new way, a new kingdom, not of this world, not as these Pharisees were teaching, but this is one that is based on love and not the law. So you'll see that played out. So let's read it together and it'll be up on the screen for you. So I'll read it out loud and you can follow along. Mark 8, 1 to 26. So in those days... When again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called His disciples to Him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with Me now three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And His disciples answered Him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place and jesus asked them how many loaves do you have they said seven he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks 
He broke them and He gave them to His disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, He said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and they were satisfied. So they took up the broken pieces that were left over, seven baskets full, and they were about 4,000 people. Then He sent them away. And immediately, Jesus got in the boat with His disciples, and He went to the district of Dalmanutha. Now the Pharisees came and began to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven just to test Him. And He sighed deeply in His spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And so He left them. He got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the loaves, the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, twelve. And the seven... For the 4,000? And how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Then they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand. He led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and the man said, I see people, but but they look like trees that are walking. So then Jesus laid his hands on the man again and opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So quite a lot is happening there, but I hope you get the picture of what was going on. Once again, there's a crowd that's following Jesus. This time, they're with Him three days. The 5,000, right? They were there for one day. And Jesus has compassion on them. So after He feeds them, then the Pharisees find Him when He takes the boat and He goes. He's just trying to get some peace, right? And always there's crowds or the Pharisees. They're trying to test Him. They're looking for a sign to prove that these miracles are from heaven, that He has the authority to do these things. And he tells them, no, no sign for this generation. Basically saying, have you not seen enough? But see then the disciples with him in the boat, he says, beware of the leaven. We know that leaven in Scripture really is an indication of sin. It can be symbolic for sin because a little bit of leaven gets in and taints the whole batch. He's saying, be aware of what the Pharisees are trying to do. They just tried to test me. He says, beware of them and of Herod. And what do the disciples say? They say, oh, oh, we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus is thinking, that's not what I meant. Right? They still don't understand. So He lovingly rebukes them and says, you have eyes you don't see, 
have ears, you're not hearing. You don't even remember what we just did in feeding the 5,000. He asked them plainly, when we did that, did we have any left over? I think they started to get it. And they said, yes, 12. And they said, how about now? We just fed them. Did we have any left over? How many baskets? Yes, seven. But then finally, they go to Bethsaida and he heals a blind man. But he does it in a particular way. Did you notice that? It's like a two-step process for Jesus. We're going to get to that. So I want to look at it this way. First and foremost, we see this, this, the longest part of our passage. Jesus once again heals a multitude. This time, it's 4,000. But it's, it's no less of a miracle, is it? Now again, it says in, in most um, contexts in the original language, it looks like again it says 4,000 men. So that would be then uh, you would have to add on women and children. So again, it's a multitude. Just like with the 5,000. He feeds them from a few loaves and a few fish. It's very similar. It's been noted that the baskets are a little different. The baskets in the first miracle, they were kind of small, like little hand baskets of leftovers, 12. This one in the, in, the, uh, in the Greek, what it really says is that these baskets in our current reading were like big baskets that you could fit in. Maybe the kind they use for laundry. So there's a lot more left over. I think Jesus maybe, in a way, going out of his way to say that there's abundance. But let's look at it this way. This feeding of the 4,000 is in many ways a picture of the gospel of love. It is Jesus through his action, again, teaching the disciples. Isn't that what he was about? Teaching the disciples all about himself. And he's teaching them the gospel. So look at some of these elements. Jesus sees that there's a need. And he says it right at the beginning of the passage. They had nothing to eat. Does he not look at us and see that we have a great need? That we are lost without him. Not only does Jesus see the need, but he notices that they are helpless. They have nothing to eat. He said even they've been with me three days. They're out in the wilderness this time. And he's saying, not only do they have a need, but they're helpless without me. Don't we know that that's also part, the great news of the gospel, in that we are helpless without the Lord Jesus. On our own, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot earn our salvation. Without Jesus Christ, we are helpless. So the people are in need and they are helpless. But then Jesus has compassion. He even says it plainly in verse 2, I have compassion on this crowd. You remember when he fed the 5,000, he looked at them and they were about to get off the boat. You remember that? Just a few chapters ago. And he said he had compassion on them. So he taught them and he met their need. So he sees a need like he does in us. He sees that they were helpless without him like we are without him. But then he has compassion on them. Jesus Christ looks to you with compassion and care because he's the great shepherd. But not only that, it doesn't stay there. He then provides. Jesus offers provision. Because Jesus doesn't look at them and say, oh, I feel so bad for them. He then gives them the food that they need, the sustenance. Jesus provides the way for them to eat. Does Jesus not provide a way for us to be reconciled to God? And what is that way? It is Him. He offers Himself the bread of life. Right? So Jesus, again, is teaching His disciples this idea of the love and the grace and the goodness of God through this miracle. 
And so we see that he has compassion. He, ha- he gives the provision. But there's also a commandment that requires trust. Because he then very simply says to the disciples, tell the people to sit down and wait to be fed. It's a command from Jesus, but doesn't require trust. That the people were to sit down. They didn't know what was about to happen. But they sat and they waited and they trusted. When we are told that we are to believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation, what happens when we believe? Really two things happen. We agree to the facts and the truth about who Jesus is. We accept it as truth, but then we put our trust in our faith in Him to provide. So when He told the disciples, tell the people to sit down. It was an act, required an act of trust and faith on their part. And then He provides for them. You see that? But then finally, as the story ends, there's so much left over that they can fill all these big baskets full of leftover bread and fish. And what is that a picture of? Once again, the abundance of Jesus' love and grace. We say hallelujah to that, right? That He is so abundant in His love and so abundant in His grace. That's what Jesus is trying to teach His disciples. We'll see it continues. Mark puts it all together because the Pharisees ask for a sign. Are you really the one with the authority to do this? And He says, you don't need another sign. You're denying even who I am already. No more sign is needed than what I have already said and what I have done. And then He tries to teach His disciples again. They get in the boat. And He says, beware of the leaven of these Pharisees who are just trying to test Me and of Herod. And once again, they don't get it. We'll talk about that in a second. But see, Jesus, in a way, is trying to teach them as children of God, your language is now a language of love. No longer hatred. No longer um, are you uh, speaking a, lo- a language of animosity. But it is now a language of love. See, Scripture says that we were once enemies of God, but we are now His friends. We are children of God through Christ Jesus. So that means for us, church, that we are now to speak a different language. Our language towards God in our worship, in our trust, in our faith, but our language towards one another is to be one that reflects the Gospel that we see played out here in the feeding of the 4,000, but it is one of love. Why? Because our position before God has changed. We are no longer enemies, but we are now children of the living God. Do you live like children of the living God? Do you speak like it? Do you act like it? Do you speak with a language of love in the way that you act towards one another and the things that you say? Do you even do it by sharing the good news of the Gospel. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God. That's who we are in Him. You see, Jesus, as we mentioned last time, Jesus was bringing the good news first to the Jew, but not only to the Jew. First to the Jew, to the house of Israel. We saw that. But now he's speaking more to the Gentiles. And this even, even this area of the Middle East that he's in, around this part of the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee, we saw last week that he, he healed the uh, Syrophoenician's uh, woman's daughter. Right? He is the healing in the Decapolis area, the ten cities, the deaf mute. 
he went um, to different cities where it was mostly Gentile. And so he feeds the 4,000. This crowd was probably mostly Gentile because of where they were. But the gospel goes to all. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe, would simply believe in him, would never die but have everlasting life. What a beautiful verse to sum up the gospel of Jesus. So we see that Jesus sees a need because they have nothing to eat. He acts out of love and compassion. He says, I have compassion on the multitude. But then he reveals and shows his grace. He says, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they're going to faint on the way. It's his act of grace. He sees they're helpless. He says, how can anyone satisfy these people? It's the disciples recognizing they're helpless. They're helpless. Even the disciples were acting helpless. He gives them the command that requires trust. He commanded the multitude to sit down. He provides because they were all satisfied. But then there's an abundance left over. Philippians 4, My God shall supply all our needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.20 Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and amen. Church, when you pray, do you expect the abundance of Christ? I mean, God provides all that we need, but even some of what we desire. But you know what? I think in some ways we have to recognize there's so much left over, so much of the grace and the love of God, that shouldn't we then be sharing that with other people? If we have recognized Jesus as our Savior and we have believed in Him for salvation, should we not then be sharing that good news and that blessing with others? That's how we speak the language of love. We encourage each other and then we take it beyond this building and we share the good news of the Gospel. That's the best way that we can speak that new language of love. You see, if we kind of go back a little bit in history and we look at the beginning of Scripture, we see that... um, That when everything was perfect and good in paradise in the garden, the language there was love. Their native tongue, as it were, was love. Because God had created Adam and Eve and they joined in the fellowship and their relationship was perfect based on love. But see, when sin enters in, what happens is a new language is introduced and it's a language of animosity and even hatred towards God And so we see what happens because the original intention for there to be unity in that fellowship, speaking that love language, it is broken. It is now a language of pride and selfishness. We see what happens in the garden. But then you see later in Genesis chapter 11, you remember what happens in Genesis chapter 11? We see the Tower of Babel. Remember that story? Remember what was happening? That the people were filled with pride and they wanted to build a structure up into the heavens. It was all about them denying what God had really called them to do, to multiply and fill the nations, but they wanted to be all together and they wanted to build and work and they figured in their pride that they could become like God in a way. So what does God do to pass judgment on the people and to work out His will? He disperses them in judgment. Disperses them throughout the world and he confuses their languages 
So now there's many, many languages, so it's hard for people to even communicate. It really should have been just this one language of love, so to speak, but now it is these multiple languages. But God did it out of judgment, but yet His will be done because people now still dispersed, which is what He wanted in the first place. But wasn't there, way back in Genesis, the beginning, wasn't there a Redeemer church that was promised? Wasn't there a Redeemer that Jesus promised to reconcile people back to God? So then God chose a people for Himself through Abraham. Why? Do you know why God chose Abraham to be the the father of a nation, Israel as we know it, a, a nation to be God's chosen people? First and foremost, it was a people to bring us the Redeemer, Jesus, but it was also for the listen for the people of Israel to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be a light to the pagan nations around them, speaking the language of love of God, to share that, to share the one true God with all the people around them, but they failed again and again to do so. They were supposed to be unified together, the mouthpieces representatives of love. So what does God do in judgment just like He did with the Tower of Babel? He scatters them. He scatters the people of Israel. The Jewish people are taken captive. They are put into exile. There is broken fellowship between Him and God. And so they are dispersed throughout the four corners of the earth. But then, in our story where we are in Mark, we see the opening of the Gospels. Here comes Jesus once again to unite people with God under the banner of love. Through the Gospel. What does He say in John 13? 34 to 35 does he not say to them right before he goes to the cross he says a new command i give you what's that new command church to love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another and by this by this love everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another see it starts with us speaking that language of love to each other encouraging each other A language that's designed to build up and not tear down. Do you see that? His love produces a grace by which we are saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He's teaching the disciples how to speak love. How to show it. They were slow to learn. They had ears to hear, but they were slow to listen for that love and then to speak that love. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-21. A longer passage. This is about, listen church, this is important. Look at this passage with me. This is speaking to us. This is Paul speaking to the church. Saying, you know what? You are now children of God. You are now filled with God's love. So we are to be His representatives. Speaking that language of unification of love. And not of hatred or pride or selfish or animosity. But we are to now engage in what he calls the ministry of reconciliation. See that word coming back? Reconciling? Unity? Paul was all about unity in the church. He's saying, look church, we're one. We are now one body. We are the people of God. We are now the body of Christ. Therefore, we need to act like it. And he's saying to them, speak in love. He works out this miracle again of the 4,000. And then you'll see in a moment, He heals the blind man. He does it to show them, look, I have come to bring 
restoration and redemption because of my love for you. But this is how we're supposed to live it out now. Love compels us to do this. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who live should no longer look. This is for us. Should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Do you see? There's a change of their minds. There's a repentance of seeing Christ with new eyes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. We are supposed to then reflect being children of God. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. In the way we speak to one another, church, do we count their sins against them? He says, and He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. It is now ours to then share with the world. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us, the church. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, we are to speak this new language of love. The disciples did not yet understand it. Jesus brought them this word and this teaching. He rebukes them, doesn't He? He says, after He tells them to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, He says, why are you even discussing you have no bread? You see what was happening on the boat? He was saying, beware of this leaven and the bread. And they didn't understand it. He just fed the 5,000, the 4,000. They still didn't get it. In some ways, doesn't that kind of bring us a little bit of comfort? They didn't get it. We don't always get it, do we? We don't. Sometimes we miss it. We forget that language we should be speaking and we revert back to another language. And, and He's saying to them, having eyes, do you not even see? Having ears, do you not hear? It's not about the actual bread. It's not about you not having some sandwiches for lunch. He's saying, don't you even remember when I broke those five loaves for the 5,000? And then he just lands on the idea of abundance. He's saying you're missing out on the abundant grace of God. He's saying, I'm trying to offer this to you. Don't you remember how much was left over? And how much was left over this time? There is so much to give. He, look, he's teaching the disciples and us this morning. There is so much to give, so much to be thankful for that we are then to go and to serve. We're not just learning and growing, but we're serving. What's the best way? We can serve one another and people outside the church. It is by sharing the, God, the love of God. It is by sharing the good news of Jesus. That ministry of reconciliation. If nothing, remember that. That's the language we speak. It's one of love based on the ministry of reconciliation. See, through the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus is saying, I saw a need. They're helpless without me. I had compassion on them. I provided for them. 
I gave them the command to trust and to wait until I do it. And then there will be abundance. They'll be left over. Why? So not for you to hoard it for yourselves, but to go and share it. Share it with the world. That's what he's doing. See, he was teaching them this language of love, but it can be hard. And so a, a few final closing thoughts. You know, I've tried a couple times to learn Spanish. Maybe you've, you've tried. And, you know, uh, next year we're going on a missions trip, 14 of us, to Brazil. And uh, they don't speak Brazilian. They speak Portuguese. That's the language, right? And so we're going to... I'm right, right? It is Portuguese? Yeah, it is. Okay. It's a language. And, you know, we've committed as a team, and some of the team that are here might not realize this yet, but we've committed to learn some of the language, I mean, wouldn't it be a little presumptuous of us, especially as Americans, to go into um, the poor parts of this port city in southern Brazil and just come in and not even care to learn a few words? But of course we want to do that so we can help to speak their language and do what? Communicate the love of God. Yes, we're going to do it through our actions and through our service, but don't we also want to be able to, at the very least, share the gospel? To share the fact that people are in need, that we are separated by sin from our Maker, but we can be reconciled to Him, to the One who is love, that is Jesus Christ and Him alone. In Him alone we find our salvation. So we need to, to try to start learning that new language before we go to Brazil. It can be hard to learn a language. Why? What do you need to do when you learn a language? You need to listen. You need to understand how it's all fitting together. But you also need to speak it to become more fluent. You can't just learn it from a book and never speak it. You need to be able to speak it until it's actually part of you. Church, that's a big part of like what we're supposed to do with God's love. We're supposed to learn that language, but then speak it. Be immersed in it. Surround yourself with it. Do it by acting out of service to one another, surrounding yourself with other believers to help you learn that language. Because you know what? We don't all speak it fluently. There are some people that can speak that language of love better, aren't there? There are those that are more mature in the faith and have just had more experiences in walking with God and they have learned what it means to love God on a deeper level. It's like somebody who can fluently speak a language. We need to learn from them as well. But let's recognize this, church, finally, that we no longer have as our native tongue, our native language, one that is of pride and selfishness and animosity and even hatred to tear down. But as children of God, newly positioned before God through the blood of Christ, we now speak a language of love. It's the one that Jesus is teaching us. So we are to then share in that abundance that we have found in Him. You know, um, Jesus says, 1 John 4, 8, it says about Him, it says, For whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Can I read that again? 1 John 4, 8, For whoever does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. God not only loves us, He is love. So we, church, are to see the fact that, yes, we are like the people in the story. We're in need. But Jesus is the one who sees us as helpless, but He has compassion. He asks us to trust, but then He provides. And then we are to share 
the abundance. But we are to do that with others. As we go throughout our days, we are to see others that are in need. We are to recognize that they, like we were, are beggars looking for those crumbs of bread. You remember the Syrophoenician woman just said to Jesus, I'll take the crumbs from the table. That we are to say, you know what? Like we say all the time, that we are but beggars showing other beggars where to find the bread. And so we are to do that as well. See the need around you. Notice that people are helpless without the love of God. Have compassion on people. Provide as best as you can. Whether it's a prayer or it's something to wear on a cold day or it's a cup of soup or maybe it's um, a reference where somebody can go get some real help. You know, um, Ephesians 5 gives us this great picture of marriage, the marriage relationship being one that represents the Gospel. Because what is involved in the love in the Gospel it's humility, Philippians 2, 1-11. through 11. It's the humility of Christ and it is the sacrifice. It's sacrificial love. Are you willing to walk in that language of sacrificial love, but also to speak it to others, to put aside your pride and your selfishness and be willing to see others first before yourselves? That's what Jesus was coming to do. To say, look, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Why? Change your mind because I'm here, Jesus is saying. And I am bringing a message of love. And that love will then, when accepted, will bring, will show the grace of God. It'll bring peace. It'll bring freedom. It'll bring joy. So many wonderful things that we have as children of God. But let us remember what Jesus is telling us. That we now have this ministry of reconciliation. God wants to use us as the church to speak the language of the gospel to others around us. Will we do that? Will we do that together? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close with a song. So as we pray, even pray that God will prepare your heart to close our time in worship through Him once again. And even, would you allow God in to search your heart? And if you are here, and perhaps you're searching, and you have not yet, trusted that Jesus is the promised Redeemer, that you would recognize Him as the way and the truth and the life today. Do you know that Jesus says that no one comes to the Father except through Him? So Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to Him. And He offered Himself as the sacrifice on our behalf that whosoever believes in Him will never die but have everlasting life. Is that, is, if that's what you're searching for today, I can tell you with all confidence that the only way to find that new life, to find that peace, that hope, and that reconciliation is through Jesus Christ and His shed blood. And believing in that and trusting in Him means that you are now a child of the living God and that your position in Him is now made secure and is now new. And in Him... None should perish. We thank you so much, God, for that. So we pray now, and then we will, we will uh, close our time through worship. Father, we are grateful for these miracles we have seen. We thank you, God, even the way that you have healed the blind man. Jesus, we thank you for even the symbolism in that, that yet even in the first acceptance of you that we might not see clearly, but is, as we let you continue to work on us, 
we will then see clearly more and more. But we know, God, we will not see fully clear until you call us home. We look forward to that day. But until then, would you help us to continue to learn and grow in love? That we would see you clearly a little bit more each and every day. Each and every time we, we are in your word and reading the truth of the Bible, God, that we would see clearly more and more who we are in your sight as children of God and that we would then be willing to take on that ministry of reconciliation and speak the truth but to do it in love to brothers and sisters and to the world around us. God, we thank you for that great privilege and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.